About two years ago, a New York Times article ran, and it was entitled, Googling for God. It commented on data gathered, on all the various searches people do or submit related to God. Sadly, the third most popular search on Google at that time that related to God was, why does God hate me? Often our Christian faith is labeled as hateful in today's world. A couple of reasons for it, because we won't sanction many different ways that people tend to embrace truth or run their lives. Also, we believe fully that it's only those who believe in Jesus Christ are headed to heaven. And conversely, and this was a major topic of our discussion Thursday night with the men, we believe everyone else by their own choices is on a path for hell. This has led to an impression that we as Christians, even though we try to combat it, are not all that loving and all that caring. The true reality is that those in this world, and unfortunately many in the church who are trying to respond, think this way because they don't understand something very basic that is part of our Christian identity, part of our, the truth that we embrace. You and I serve a God who is holy. He is a holy God. And failure to understand the holiness of God will bring us to these other mindsets. Psalm 139, I begin reading in verse number 19. If you, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if, there's, if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We've been in this psalm for a few weeks now, and this is a vision that God has given David. Verses 1 through 6, God gave David a vision of his all-encompassing knowledge. God knows everything. In verses 7 through 12, we saw God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere, going someplace to try to avoid God, good luck with that. And then in verses 13 through 18 last week, we took a look at the awesome power of God. And then we get to verses 19 to 21, uh, 22, and to many, even within the body of Christ, it just can read as mean. 
Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Verse 19. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as enemies. Verse 22. Gee, David, breathe. Many may remember the date, but perhaps not the specific time or date. 7.51 a.m. Central Standard Time on February 1st, 2003, when after a successful mission in space, the shuttle Columbia began to break apart on re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. All eight crew members lost their lives. The vessel was simply not able to handle the adjustment coming from space of re-entering into Earth's conditions. David here has an amazing vision in Psalm 139. He has been instructed and shown God's glorious, amazing presence. And upon re-entry from this vision, he sees people. Regular, everyday, sinful people. One could make the comment, David is not adjusting very well. He is caught a glimpse of the holiness, the pure holiness of God. Anyone here ever been on a retreat where God met you in a powerful way? Anyone ever gone to a conference where you just saw God like you had never seen him before? And hopefully, ever been to a church service, I'm hoping once a week, where you just experience God in a way that fills you with awe and power. These are glorious times. These times make it, but can also make it challenging because you leave that awesome presence and then you have to deal with people. You deal with the nonsense and the pettiness that most people decide to generate and devote most life energy to. I'll never forget, I shared last week about my trip to Indonesia. Another aspect of it that was challenging to me was when I got back. I had been to a part of the world, the trip to Indonesia involved two stops for me. One to the Philippines for about a week and one to Indonesia for almost three weeks. And in both places, I saw Christians dealing with what for most would be considered abject poverty, oppression, things that you and I just won't ever experience, even in our wildest dreams or nightmares. And then I got back, and I, was, I had this awesome respect for our brothers and sisters in Christ and what they were dealing with, especially in Indonesia, where their faith was illegal. I got back, and the weeks began to go on, but I got back Thanksgiving Eve, so I came back to the height of the Christmas season. And to be perfectly honest, there were times in the church I was attending where I would volunteer to be a worker at the altar for prayer, and it was a challenge for me to, after all I had experienced, for someone to come up and ask for a prayer because they weren't sure they were going to be able to get little Johnny all the toys he wanted. 
I couldn't deal with the perspective. Knowing what my brothers and sisters in these two countries were going through, it was a challenge. Thankfully, I didn't hurt anybody. Wanted to. I wanted to take one of those foam things and go, come on, wake up. The Lord God that you serve is loving. The God that you serve is merciful. The God that you serve is gracious. But church, never forget that the God you serve is holy. He is holy. He is pure. And his holiness does not tolerate or look kindly on sin. People have a twisted or very human idea of the wrath of God. They think God's wrath is just him having a bad day and losing his temper. They think God's wrath is he had a problem on the freeway coming home. He's throwing a tantrum at the end of an issue. Or they look at it in mythology terms and they look at God's wrath as thunder and lightning bolts coming down from a mountaintop. No. God's wrath is the combination of of his holiness and human sinfulness. And I submit that you and I, no matter what we think about the wrath of God, we need the wrath of God in our lives to teach us, to guide us. His holiness and wrath, they're basically two sides of the same coin. How good would it be for a police officer who saw a crime and did nothing? How understanding would we be if a firefighter saw a house burning and did nothing? Yet our world, the one that you and I live in, wants us to have a God that looks at sin, that looks at their ways that violate all of his principles, and basically for him to do nothing. And even worse than do nothing, they want him to sanction everything. Now, aren't you glad that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that God's wrath has been turned from our lives. But this idea, these verses can still be a minefield. People can say, wait, you talk about a loving God. I'm not sure what David saw was that particularly loving. Especially when you lay these verses next to many of the verses in the gospel, especially those in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. We need to understand as believers that God is going to bless people who don't follow him. He is going to reign and give sunshine to people who aren't, part of his kingdom yet. Jesus did introduce a new way of approaching those we deal with, even those who wrap their lives in evil and live against his plan. And his new way was to love them. Are there things God hates? Absolutely. God hates idolatry. He 
stands against and hates anything in our lives that puts anything or anyone before him. We, especially in the church, need to understand this because we can often try to straddle a line and say that, well, I'm following God by putting this thing of, or person of such importance. God has to come first in our lives. He made it clear to the people of Israel and he makes it clear to us today. We need to put away all idols, whatever they are, and serve him. I am proud and thankful that whenever I have gone to another country, I was able to give the customs agent an American passport. I love my country. But let's, I also want it clear for the world to hear, I am first a citizen of heaven. And that, bec- that comes before my American citizenship. God hates idolatry. God hates deceit. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about the things that the Lord hates. And right near the top is a lying tongue. We are to be honest with one another. We are to be honest with the world. We are to just live a life of truth. After all, we follow someone who is all truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And our God hates injustice. There was a reason, an underlying reason, why God established in the Torah the year of Jubilee. He wanted it to be clear that even if someone fell on hard times, if even someone had made mistakes in their life, there was going to be a point at which they could get everything back, that their family could be still honored even though they had lost things. So in the year of Jubilee, they were able to recover all that they had lost, even if it was lost at their own mistakes. We don't embrace that idea today. We say, well, you have the consequences of your mistakes. Now you have to live with them for the rest of your life. That is not God's way. And the year of Jubilee says that. There's a message I haven't preached here, but I've preached it elsewhere on the other side of Jubilee. Yeah, it's wonderful if you're on the side of Jubilee that you get everything back. But how about for those people in the year of Jubilee who acquired all that land and acquired all those herds justly? They didn't do anything wrong, but they had to give back and let go of everything they had acquired before and in between those years. And I liken that to the fact that in the year of Jubilee, it's not just a time of getting back. It's a time of letting go, letting go of the hurt, letting go of the pain, letting go of the grudges that many Christians even today still hold against other people. And those things are as much an, a, a factor in keeping people in bondage as not having stuff. In the year of Jubilee, God wants his people to be set free. God hates idolatry. He hates deceit. He hates injustice. But be assured to whomever is listening here in this building or through electronic means, 
God loves you. To all those people who Googled two years ago and still do today, God loves you. How much? I've often heard it said from other pastors that you know you've been at the church long enough when you finally share on the following scripture I'm about to give. I think you all know it, could probably recite it by heart. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do we really believe that? Yet we've been in his, yet when we've been in his presence, or even just walking away in our daily lives, we can look around us. And I've said this repeatedly, and we all understand it. The world we live in is a mess. It's a total mess. A mess like not seen before in human history, or at least recorded history. I can contend if you went back to first century Rome, they were a mess too. And we can have this attitude when we look at the reports and we get the notifications on our phone and we watch the news that those evil people, those that commit crimes, those that hurt others, those that engage in mass shootings, those that don't protect life at its earliest stages, those that support trying to redefine what marriage is, those that seem to enjoy chaos and lawlessness and we can have an attitude as this list could go on and on but it just seems to me for many of the Christians I interact and I watch them share on various social media places that the easiest thing and the preferred thing to do is to point a finger look at those evil people what's wrong with them why can't we get back to a better time just as David was doing. I hate those that hate you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I would contend David was having a little issue with reentry. And most times when we lament the evil around us, let's be honest, we're right. It's a mess out there. It is evil out there. These mass shootings can get to us. They can weigh on us. But pointing a finger can't be where we let it end. And I contend it's not where David let it end. We need to complete a safe reentry into being where God wants us to be. And many, many, many Christians may not like to hear this, but God has equipped you and called you to walk in a mess. You were fashioned for a mess, which is good for most Christians because most of us are a mess. But the safe reentry into the world, thankfully, this psalm didn't end in verse 22. How is that done? Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
David has his vision and he sees the world around him and sees that it's a mess and he accurately describes it. But then it doesn't just end with him pointing a finger. It says, you know what, Lord? Yeah, they're a mess. Search me. Look at my heart. Test or try me, some of your translations might say. See if there is any offensive way in me. I would dare say everyone in this room today want to be sure that there is nothing inside of us, nothing in our thoughts, nothing in our behaviors, nothing in our interactions with others that offends God. See if there is any offensive way in me. And please, Lord, in everything I do, every step I take, lead me. Lead me in a way that's everlasting. When we see evil raging around us, one of the first things we need to do is say, Lord, I need to be really sure none of that is raging in me. Has any of it found a way into my lives? Has any of it altered my attitude? We can, even as Christians, become so jaded and so cynical about the world around us. But that's not the mind of Christ. That's not what God fashioned you and me for. We are to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus. And that's the, the eyes that brought John 3.16. God so loved the world. God so loved the mess. God so loved the evil people that he gave his only begotten son. Search me. Search my heart. We need to be very sure that our precious times with Jesus, and I want to be clear, we need them. We need to get away with Jesus every so often. Whether it's on a retreat or in our prayer closet, we need those times. But those times shouldn't have me breaking apart on reentry into the world. Because our place, our mission, sorry to say, is not to stay permanently in heavenly places. It is not to live on the mountaintop. You were built for the valley. Your obligation, our mission, is where the lost and the hurting are, and they're not on the mountaintop. With all their issues, with all their problems. Now, admittedly, you may not know anybody who has issues or problems. Bless you, if that is you. You may have people surrounding your life that are just awesome and there's no even taint of mess. I contend two things that either might be true or you are completely blind. Because the world that I see needs Jesus and needs him desperately. With all their wounds, and let's be real, the majority of the wounds that people have in their lives, I contend most of them are self-inflicted because of the paths they've chosen, because of the decisions they've made, because of the truths, the lies they've embraced as truths. Even so, Jesus comes and says, come all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you judgment. 
No, that's not what it says. And I will give you rest. When I look at the world and I see some of the things people are going through, what I see is people who need to rest. People who need to be able to breathe. People who need to be able to just sit still and understand that there, yeah, life can be difficult. But there is a God who loves them and he doesn't hate them. And that communication needs to come from us. Search me, O oh God. Try me, O oh God. See if there's any offensive way in me, O oh God. Before I point a finger at anybody else, before I point a finger at the society I live in, before I upend and just point fingers and rant at the culture that has drifted so far away from Jesus, search me. Search me, O oh God. Change me and let the work begin here. That's where we need to be. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to lead you in a song.